0: Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we? Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Oof, all right. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> so good to see you. Um, last week, I was not doing well. I had a little thing called COVID. Have you heard of it? It was my first time having it three, over three years. Never tested positive. Um, I could tell on Wednesday things weren't looking like too good. I was like, oh, allergies maybe? And then I got up on Thursday morning and I was like, this is not allergies. And so I got a COVID test and I took it. And let me tell you, um, uh, Brian uh, said it was the most positive looking COVID test he's ever seen in his life. You know, it like, it like goes up and it hits the first line and it was just like bright red, like instantly. I was like, oh my goodness, I've got COVID. Had the worst sore throat, thought for like a hot second on Saturday morning, I was like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can get healthy. Maybe, we, maybe, maybe I can be there on Sunday. Um, but no, um, that, that was not going to be the case. So thanks for bearing with us last week and watching DVR, Ryan, from uh, last July. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to be back here today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. Um, we're going to be back in the book of Mark. Uh, today. We have just started this brand new series that we're calling The Life and Way of Jesus. And the reason why we're studying Mark uh, is because I want us to uh, get reacquainted and, and, and reacclimated with the life and way of Jesus so that we as a church can know uh, more deeply and, and know better what it looks like to follow Jesus together And that as we follow Jesus together as a community, that we would be the kind of people who would seek renewal in the world and in our community around us. A work of renewal that I believe Jesus began long ago, but he is continuing now through his church. And so what we're doing with these first few weeks in this study of Mark is we're zooming out and we're trying to get a big picture of what's going on in Mark. And what are some of the big questions Mark is asking? And what are some of the big ideas that. Mark is addressing in this gospel. And what we saw a couple weeks ago uh, was was this idea, I I tried to ask this question, what if we got Jesus wrong? What if we've got Jesus wrong? What if we've misunderstood Jesus? And this this is possible, this is quite likely, because what we saw is that we all have and carry expectations of who Jesus is and and what, what he should do in our lives, and what Jesus is all about, and what Jesus thinks is important. And we carry into the gospel, and into reading a gospel like Mark, we carry these expectations into the gospel, and oftentimes what we see is we carry those expectations with us, we get what we're looking for. We have a lens, we have a filter by which we're trying to understand these things, and as a result, we are all guilty of making up our own slightly different versions of Jesus. And, 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 and the biggest takeaway from our first week in Mark was this, that the only way to truly understand Jesus is through the cross. The only way to rightly understand who Jesus is is through the cross because it's at the cross where Jesus is anointed king. It's at the cross where where he receives his robe. It's at the cross where he received his crown. It's at the cross where he was lifted up So everyone would be able to see him in glory. And although this picture of Jesus the Messiah anointed as king on on a sinner's shameful cross is counterintuitive, and it's odd, and it goes against the grain, and to many people it's foolishness, what we'll see is that over time through our study in in this book, what will become more clear to us is, is, is why he was anointed king on the cross, and how that has massive implications. How understanding Jesus this way has massive implications on our church, on how you, follow indiv- how you follow Jesus individually, how you follow Jesus collectively, how we live our lives, even some 2,000 years later. And so today we are gonna be right back in the same bit of text that we were in two weeks ago. Just a quick heads up, this is not gonna be a quick series. This is not going to be a four-week series in Mark. This is not going to be a 10-week series in Mark. We're going to be in Mark for a while, so get comfortable, okay? Get acquainted with Mark. Be reading Mark. Be studying Mark. But we're going to be hyper-focused on the last couple of verses uh, in this passage, chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 15. We're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15 uh, because it's in those two verses that we get our first main taste of, of the plot of Mark. Like any good story, Mark's gospel has a plot. Every good story needs a plot. And if a story doesn't have a good plot that's driven by conflict, that's driven by tension, it, it's kind of a dud, isn't it? Like every year the Oscars come and go, and you might get some recommendations, and a, and a movie might win Best Picture, and someone might be like, Yeah, check out that movie. That's a really good movie. And then you watch kind of like this artsy fartsy film, and, and you're like, You're like, what what was that all about? Like, there was no plot. Anyone ever had that experience with the movie before? You're like, what? I was talking to Mike Klein the other day, and he's like, you ever heard of the movie Lost in Translation? And he's like, I-, I can't stand that movie, you know? It's like this weird kind of, uh, and here's the thing, I actually love that movie because I'm kind of a freak, but, but you, you encounter some of these movies, and it's like, what, what happened? Like, there was no beginning, middle, or end. Like, what was that all about? But here's the thing about Mark. Mark has a plot. Mark's got tension. Mark's got a, got, a, got a conflict going on in it, and we see it in verses 14 and 15, but those verses don't come out of nowhere. They're, they're in context of those other verses. So, like a couple weeks ago, what I'd like us to do is, if you're able, would you please stand with me as I read this passage from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God... Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse nine, at that time... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. You can hang on to that phrase, being torn open there. That's a very important one. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased." And at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. You can hang on to that. Being tempted by Satan, remember that as well. And he was with the wild, in fact, remember all this, okay? Just remember it, all right? (laughs) He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Okay, here are our key verses, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is God's word, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, right now, uh, we come before you and we ask God that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts. God, we pray that your spirit would move right now. We pray that as we encounter your word, that this would not just be another Sunday, but that you would meet us in power and that you would reorient our thinking and, and, and recalibrate our hearts, Lord, so that they would be more in line with who you are and your gospel and the kingdom, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint me today as I handle your word. Help me to be faithful with it. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, you can take a seat. Um, I think uh, we can all agree that words have meaning, right? Right. Words mean things. Like if I say the word "dog," dog, something comes to mind, right? Maybe it's something like this, right? Oh, so cute, right? Or maybe it's something like this. Oh. <laughs> or maybe, like for me, it's this. That's my dog Lucy. Isn't she cute? Isn't she cute? Listen, when when I say something like the word dog, something comes to mind. Uh, You picture in your mind like a a furry creature with four legs and it might not look like any of those three. Maybe you have your own dog and that's what you think of or maybe it's a different kind of dog. But when I say the word dog, something like that comes to mind. Typically, you don't think of something like this (laughs) or even something like this, right? Because for you to conjure those to your mind, I would need to say something like cats or waste of space or something like that, you know? <laughs> I'm, you know what? It was, it's low-hanging fruit. I have nothing against cats, OK? Like cats, dogs, whatever. I can take it or leave it. Um, here's the thing. When I say the word dog, here's why I, I start with this illustration. We don't all think of the same dog, right? We think of something similar, but there's variance into what kind of dog we think of and the color and the breed and the size and the shape and all of that stuff. And so here's why I say this. I think the same goes for the word gospel, with the gospel. When I say the gospel, what comes to your mind? Because I think in a similar way to the word dog, many different things come to our minds as we hear this word, The gospel. Like, I bet that if we were to survey this room right now and get descriptions and ideas of what the gospel is, that there'd be uh, quite a bit of variance as to how we'd unpack it and how we'd explain it. But here's the question can we do that with the gospel? Can we do that with the gospel? Are we afforded slightly different interpretations of what the gospel is? Can we take the gospel and kind of reform it and refit it for our time so that it sounds more gospely, more good newsy to me or my friends or whoever I'm talking to the uh, talking about the gospel with? Like in, in in the translation that I read in the NIV, it says. That Jesus preached the good news, but some other translations might say repent and believe the gospel. But both of those come from the same word in the Greek. This word "euangelion." Those words are interchangeable: the good news or the gospel. And so, 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 what is the gospel then? What is the gospel? What if we asked Jesus? What, what would Jesus say the gospel is? How 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 would He define? The gospel, or better asked, what is the gospel according to Jesus? You ever thought about that question before? What is the gospel according to Jesus? This is a very important question for, for us to ask ourselves, and then we have to ask ourselves did Jesus ever preach the gospel? Or did he have to wait until he died and rose again? Or was this something he simply commissioned his, his disciples to go do, was to go preach the gospel? What is the gospel according to Jesus? Well, cutting to the chase, according to Jesus, this is the gospel. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Yes. Yeah, sort of. Um, the kingdom of God has come near. That's the gospel. That's the gospel according to Jesus. Now, you might hear that, and you might think, well, that doesn't doesn't sound like good news to me. Like, good news to me would be my sins are forgiven. Good news to me would be I'm going to heaven after I die. Good news to me would be Jesus is going to make my life's plans happen because of his power. Good news to me would be I'm going to have a good marriage, and my kids are going to obey me. And you know what? You're right. That all sounds like good news. Good news. It does. It sounds like good news. But listen, that's not what Jesus said. Now, those things are good, and some of those things are true, and they might be implications of the gospel, but they're not the gospel. At least not the gospel that Jesus preached, Mark opens up his story about the life and way of Jesus with Jesus declaring and proclaiming the good news announcement that he himself preached. And so what is, the, what is the gospel according to Jesus? This is the question I want you mulling over in your mind this morning. If you're taking notes, write that question down. I want us to be thinking about this question throughout the week. What is the gospel according to Jesus? Again, if we look at verse 14, it says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and so Jesus has entered into the scene. He's about to get his first lines in Mark's gospel, and what is his message? Again, verse 15, he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the gospel Jesus preached. He said the time has come, or or your translation might say the time is now fulfilled, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so again, what is the gospel? The kingdom of God has come near, and Jesus preaches, he says, his very first words in the gospel are repent and believe that. Repent and believe that. Now, there are all sorts of questions that are attached to this message. But I think the most important one is this, that if this is the gospel, if this is the gospel that Jesus preached, then what is the kingdom of God? Because that appears to be at the epicenter, that appears to be at the forefront of the gospel Jesus preached. What is the kingdom of God? So we're gonna dig into that. Just a heads up, though. We are going to merely scratch the surface on this topic because this is a tremendously complex theological topic. But I want us to at least try and and wrap our arms around it because it's absolutely essential to understanding the gospel of Jesus. And and, and it's it's, it's essential for us to understand Mark's gospel and the narrative and the storyline of Mark. And so what is... So what is the kingdom of God? Let's, um, let's start with the Greek, because why not, right? Let's just go for it. Um, in the Greek, the kingdom of God is this phrase, basileia to theu. And I think one thing that will help us understand this concept of the kingdom of God better is if we replace this word kingdom, which is the Greek word basileia, with with a word like rule or reign or dominion. That's the sense of the Greek there. It's more of an active sense. It's it's not merely this static kingdom, but but, but it might be better for us to understand it as, as the reign of God or the rule of God. Or the dominion of God. And and Jesus is preaching this gospel here. He's saying, The reign of God has come near. The rule of God has come near. That's what he's preaching here. Add like a touch more clarity to our understanding, not a ton, but to really grasp this concept. What we need to understand is that the kingdom of God, the, the rule and reign of God, has deep, deep roots in the Old Testament. In fact, if you don't need the Old Testament to preach the gospel, you don't have the gospel. You don't have the gospel. It's why when I was reading the text earlier, when we got to like verse 12 and verse 13, I said, hold on to that, remember that, catch that. Because what Mark is doing at the beginning of his gospel is he's connecting the dots of the story of Israel in the Old Testament to the story of Jesus here in the New Testament. The context of the gospel is the Old Testament. We can't have the gospel without the Old Testament. It's why Mark starts out his gospel with, with a quote from the prophet Isaiah. It's why he starts talking about John the Baptist, this forerunner who was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Jesus, early on, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Who was in the wilderness for 40 years? Who? The Israel, the Israelites. It's, who, who, who does Jesus meet in the wilderness? Who who did Adam encounter in the garden? Satan, you see these connections, there's all these allusions to the Old Testament in the first 15 verses of Mark because that's the context of the gospel. That's the context of the gospel. Now, if the kingdom of God has roots in the Old Testament, then how exactly was the kingdom of God understood in the Old Testament, most importantly, by the people of Israel? How did they understand the kingdom of God? Well, according to Dr. Ron Kernigan, a professor at Fuller, Fuller Seminary, he says this, the kingdom of God is an expression that embodied the hopes of the Jewish people that God would one day remove all evil from the world and inaugurate a new unprecedented age of blessing, prosperity, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. That's the hope and desire of the kingdom of God according to the people of Israel. Now, a couple weeks ago when we started our journey in Mark, one thing that we clarified was the gospel of Mark isn't necessarily the start of something brand new, but it's actually the climax of a very, very old story. We took a little bit of time to review this story that began at creation, when God created this good world. It was to be a temple where he was worshiped and where he ruled, but he also ruled through us, his vice regents, his, his image bearers here on earth, and he wanted to partner with us to further the beauty of the garden, but we didn't do that. We rebelled, we wanted to. To do our own thing we didn't want to partner with God and Bible scholars and theologians they call that the fall and from that point forward what we read about in the scriptures is God's story of redemption and in that story of redemption God calls a man named Abraham and he calls a people out of him the people of Israel we learn that this people they are then taken into captivity in Egypt but then they are set free and then as they enter into the promised land there's this group of people that rise up And they are called the prophets, the prophets. And their message is this. The prophets, what they declared was that at a certain time in the future, God himself would come as king. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This idea that God would send someone called the Messiah or the Mashiach in Hebrew and God would send this Messiah and this Messiah would be king over the entire world and God would rule and he would reign over everything and he would bring everything in line to his will. Anything that was out of line with God's rule, with his God with God's will would be confronted, would be replaced This was the message of the prophets. This is what they declared. And and this became the hope. This became the desire of the people of Israel. And this wasn't some sort of like individual kind of token hope desire that like you would hold on to as a person. Like this was like a community thing. Like as a people, this was their hope. This was their desire. This is what they longed for. And the other thing that's really important for us to understand about this hope and this desire is that it wasn't just spiritual. It was also spatial. Their kingdom hope was both spiritual and spatial. It was not just some spiritual and tangible thing. There was like a flesh and blood and space and time and history hope that God's kingdom would enter in. And so on one part, it, really, it was spiritual And so the spiritual reality of the arrival of this kingdom meant three things. Number one, the power of sin would be destroyed. Number two, their chief enemy, Satan, would be disarmed. And number three, that all people would worship God. This was the spiritual component of the hope of Israel, of the kingdom of God, but it wasn't just spiritual. It wasn't just spiritual, it was also spatial. And here's what's meant by this. That again, when God reigned as king over his kingdom, it meant three things spatially. First of all, it meant that the world would no longer know poverty or hunger. So there was like an economic component to it. Number two, that oppressive governments would be brought down. There was a political component. They believed that Messiah would rule and reign. So all political brokenness and crookedness would be brought in line with God's rule and reign. And finally, number three, it meant that the world... excuse me, COVID, uh, the world would no longer know plunder and misuse and that all the, like. there's like a bunch of Old Testament verses that like the animals would all get along. And so there was an environmental component to this as well. And so to summarize all of that, to summarize all of that, the kingdom of God was the reign of God where God was rightly ruling over the world both spiritually and spatially, okay? Real quick, can we take a deep breath? Are you with me still right now? Do you got all of that? I know that today's like sermon, a lot of it's up here, okay? And, and, and it's like, okay, this is like really deep and like, when is this going to like actually start to like mean something to me? Because we're talking about all this like theological kingdom of God stuff. Listen, this, this this groundwork is just really important for us to lay as we journey through Mark. And so I just, I promise you that it, it, it will be rewarded as we walk through Mark, the more deeply we understand this concept of the gospel that Jesus, preached in the kingdom of God, okay? I I promise, all right? I promise. Um, So let's keep going. This was the hope of the people of Israel. And again, if you remember the other week, God, so that He was going to use the people of Israel to usher in this reign. But what we see in the story of Israel is they failed time and time again. This is what the Book of Judges is about. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, again and again and again. So eventually, the prophets they declared that listen, God wasn't going to make this rule, His rule and reign, dependent on any one person or any one nation. That He was going to come in and accomplish this for Himself. That God would come and He'd establish His kingdom for Himself. So again, we, we've talked about what this would look like, but, but, but God would step in and the hope and desire of the people of Israel was that God would break in and that he would really enter into the story of humanity and into the story of the good world that he, would, that he created and that he would establish his rule and reign. And what that meant to them was that Satan's time would come to an end. Satan's time would come to an end and the Jewish people commonly referred to the time of Satan's reign as this age, as this age. And it's a time characterized by sin, by sickness, by demon possession, by evil triumphing over good. God would step in and he would end Satan's time and he would bring an end to this age and he would usher in the age to come. And the age to come was the time of God's rule and it would be an age characterized by the presence of God's spirit, by righteousness, by health, by peace. And this is what the people of Israel longed for. This was their desire, this was their hope, this was what they, 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 they prayed for, was the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so, so let's bring this back to Mark. What's Jesus saying about this kingdom? What's he saying? What's he declaring? He's saying, 2,000 years ago, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. He's saying those things that God's rule, spiritually and spatially, he's saying, it's here. Jesus is saying the time of God's rule it's, it's actually begun. The time uh, of God's rule characterized by his spirit, by righteousness, by health, by people worshiping him, by peace, it's here. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, so, like, what, what happened in Jesus... And and not just on the cross, but like right here in this moment at the beginning of Mark, at Jesus' baptism, when the heavens were torn open before his death, before his resurrection, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom right here. He started it. And we know this because after Jesus' baptism, Mark briefly tells this story of Jesus going out into the wilderness and confronting Satan. And in the story, what we see is Jesus and Satan go out into the wilderness, and only Jesus comes out. That's not the setup for a punchline or anything like that. They both go in the wilderness, and only Jesus comes out. Who do we think won that battle? Jesus. Jesus did. Jesus won right there. In that moment, essentially, Jesus landed this like haymaker on Satan. Right there. Jesus and Satan, they're in the wilderness. Jesus, Jesus defeats him in a sense, and he comes out declaring after his victory, he says, It started. It's begun. The kingdom of God is here. Satan's time is ending the rule of God is now available for everyone. That's what he's declaring here, and this is the gospel, okay? This is the good news that Jesus declares. In fact, one of the best definitions of the gospel that I've ever found is this. Are you ready for it? Yeah, good. Um, It's this. The gospel is the availability of the kingdom of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the availability of the kingdom of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the good news. Some of you might hear that and, and you might be like, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking, I've been following along, but, but, but I still don't quite understand how this is good news for me now. I still don't quite understand it. Well, here's, here's why this is good news for each and every one of you in this room today. It's good news because whatever you're going through in life right now, whatever you're facing in your life, whatever loss you're dealing with, whatever hardship you're trying to overcome, whatever pain that you're wrestling with, and in a room with this many people, we don't have to scratch very deeply, we don't have to dig very deeply to find pain and to find hurt and to find brokenness. Whatever you're dealing with, the the good news is that the kingdom of God is available to you right here, right now. It's available to you, whatever you're going through, and you can open yourself up to it. You can open yourself up to the reality of God's rule and reign in your life. You don't have to go anywhere, whatever you're going through, you can simply stop. And you can turn away from whatever it is that is causing that pain, causing that hurt, and you can turn and you can believe this good news. This is what Jesus calls us to do, to repent and to believe this good news that his kingdom is near, that his rule and reign are available to you right now. Like sometimes when I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overthinking things, and it doesn't, this doesn't happen that often in my life, like at all. I'm never this way. Um, no, I'm, I'm constantly a mess. But um, when, when I feel this way and I feel stressed and I'm overthinking and I'm freaking out about things, what I try to do is I try to just stop. And I take a deep breath and I I think and I believe this good news because this is what Jesus asked us to do. I believe this good news that his kingdom is here, and I'm not that good at it right now. Like I, I hope and pray that like 30 years from now, I'm way better at this, but I just stop and I trust and I place whatever little faith I have in that moment when it feels like my world is caving in and God, how are you gonna move in this situation? And, and there's worry and there's pain and there's hurt and when I, whether I'm in my living room or in my car or in my office here at church, I just, I try to stop and I pray, and and I turn away from from rushing, and hurrying, and worrying, and, and, and I turn to Jesus, and I believe this good news, and I know, I know that whatever happens to me in that moment, whatever happens to me, however any of all of this turns out, I know that God is ruling and reigning, I know that God's ruling and reigning and he knows how to make all things new. He knows how to make all things right. That if I just turn away from my worry and my overthinking and my hurt and believe this gospel, that my life is in step with Christ and I'm under his rule and reign because the kingdom of God is near. This is what Jesus invites us to in the here and now. Now I know some of you might hear that. And you might be like, but isn't that just pretending? Aren't you just pretending? If I do that, uh, isn't it just, uh, aren't I just pretending in that moment? Because you've talked about the kingdom of God and all these things that go along with the kingdom of God, like the presence, the powerful presence of God's spirit and righteousness and health and, and peace. And honestly, I don't see that everywhere, like at all. In fact, as I look out into the world, what I see more often than not is brokenness and hurt and pain. Like I, like I, like I turn on the TV and it's, and it's just like instant depression all the time. And it's been that way for like ever. And so, I mean, I get it. I get where you're coming from as you say that. And what we see here, and maybe you noticed it, is even in the text that we just read, yeah. there's a paradox. There's a paradox in verse 14. Do you see it there in verse 14? Look there. It says, after John was put in prison, the kingdom of God began. You're like, what? What kind of kingdom is this? Like, this shouldn't be the case. This doesn't make any sense. If the kingdom of God was really here, then then why is one of its main servants heading to prison? If the kingdom of God is really here, then, then why is one of its main followers about to be sentenced to death? About to be beheaded? How does any of that make sense? Or said differently, if the kingdom of God is truly inaugurated by Jesus and is really present in human history, how is it possible that there's still so much brokenness in the world? Have you ever thought about that before? Yeah. You ever wrestled with that? Why is this a thing? Like, it shouldn't be a thing. It's a good observation. And this is what scholars and theologians call the already but not yet kingdom. The already but not yet kingdom. And so if we go back to this idea of Satan's time and God's time, this age and the age to come, you can kind of think about it like a curtain opening and closing. And, and, and what's taken place is that the curtain on Satan's time hasn't completely shut. It hasn't completely closed. But the curtain on God's time has opened up. And so where we find ourselves living right now in in history, in space and time, is is, is in a time of overlapping kingdoms. We live in a time of kingdoms in conflict. That's the the time that we live in right now. It's a time of kingdoms and conflict. And listen, this, this idea of kingdoms and conflict It's where Mark's plot about the story of Jesus takes shape. We talked at the very beginning about the plot of Mark. This is where it takes shape. This is where the conflict and tension of Mark exists, is in this this concept of kingdoms in conflict. And Jesus comes and he announces the kingdom of God is at hand, but there's a problem. There are other kingdoms at play. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is the core plot of your life. This is the conflict that you face every single day as a follower of Jesus right now are kingdoms at conflict within your heart and within your community and within your life. Like you go to work tomorrow, There's a kingdom at play there. Your work, your job, your boss, founder, CEO, whatever, you might be that person. You have a kingdom there that you're trying to expand. And there are times in life where that kingdom can be in conflict with the kingdom of God. We all live in a country called the United States, and this kingdom is trying to expand itself and defend itself. You turn on the TV, and you see kingdoms at conflict all the time, whether it's families or businesses or countries or people or whatever, kingdoms in conflict all the time. And Jesus enters onto the scene here in Mark chapter 1, and he announces that the kingdom of God is rushing in in the midst of all of these other kingdoms and, 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 and enters in subversively amidst all of these other kingdoms. It is not the same as any other kingdom that we live in. The kingdom of God is its own kingdom. And this is what Jesus declares right at the beginning of Mark. He says the kingdom of God is breaking in. And what we're gonna see in the whole first half of Mark as we study it, Mark chapters one through seven, is this kingdom breaking in. Jesus will be casting out demons. He'll be healing people. He'll be confronting hypocritical rulers and authorities that are trying to keep people out of this kingdom. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The gates are open for anyone to enter my kingdom. He'll be teaching about this kingdom. And perhaps most relevant and most important for all of us here with respect to Mark is Jesus is going to invite each and every one of us to make a decision to choose to follow him and, and, and follow him into this kingdom and live our lives in alignment with his kingdom, the kingdom of God. To forsake all other kingdoms. That's essentially what repentance is. Repentance is is reorienting our minds and our hearts and thinking about how we're thinking, thinking differently about our thinking, and turning away and moving towards something else, and believing the good news, which is the reality that the kingdom of God is here. And in this world, with so many competing kingdoms, It takes faith to believe that God's kingdom is near sometimes, doesn't it? It takes faith sometimes. And and it's something that we're going to have to wrestle with. And and what you're going to have to wrestle with, what I hope you wrestle with this week, what we wrestle with through this series, what I'm going to have to wrestle with is this. What kingdom am I living for? Whose kingdom am I living for? What kingdom am am I living for? My kingdom? When I wake up in the morning, am I living for my comfort and my pleasure and my rule and my will and, and my way in my marriage? Am I living for my kingdom and my way? Or am I living to see God's kingdom come into my marriage as it is in heaven? When I go to work, am I living for my kingdom or my job's kingdom? Am I, living to see for, am I, am I working for my advancement? My, my will, my way, or am I, am I looking to see God's kingdom enter into my workspace as it is in heaven? It's a question that we have to wrestle with. Essentially, it's a question of allegiance. Which kingdom has our primary allegiance? Is it our own kingdom? Is it our work? Is it this country? Or is it the kingdom of God? This is the question that is at the epicenter of our discipleship with Jesus. And we're gonna talk about it in detail next week. But until then, Jesus' call here at the outset of, of, of Mark is, is simple. It's simple, but, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's the gospel. It's the gospel according to Jesus, which is this. The kingdom of God has come near. The rule and reign of God is here. Would we repent Would we repent of of allegiance to all other kingdoms? And would we believe this good news? Amen? Let's stand and pray.